Living Wisely, Living Well, March 13. To become inwardly free, live to serve others rather than for personal gain. Service is magnanimity and the prerogative of kings. But the more you work for personal gain, the more you will only beggar yourself. Well, Swami really makes a big distinction there. The more you work for personal gain, the more you will beggar yourself. Well, of course, lots of people who work for personal gain end up as anything but beggars. They end up extremely wealthy, sometimes powerful. They, you know, often seem to get a great many honors of this world. So he can't be really saying that if you try to get money, you'll lose money. He uses it differently. He doesn't actually say, we'll become a beggar. He says, you will beggar yourself. And then he also has this other point, service is magnanimity and the prerogative of kings. These are, these are um, in three or four sentences here. You know, he's got some really interesting ideas here. I looked up the word magnanimity, which of course comes from the word magnanimous, which is a word that I thought I knew. I actually even used the word magnanimous at many times. It's, sometimes it's very interesting. I only know one language, so I don't know how this would work in multiple languages. But every so often, a word that I've known for a really long time, either... I see it in a context that I've never seen it before, or like it is, the way it is when I'm reading these short, pithy statements of Swamiji, where we have three sentences and he makes very strong statements, and then uses a word like magnanimity, which is not sort of the average uh, vocabulary word of a person. And then my mind just goes blank. What does this word actually mean? So, looking up the word magnanimous, the first and obvious definition is simply generous. But service is generous is like, and? I mean, of course service is generous. That's the whole point. Why would Swami just say something so obvious? It's selfless to serve. Yes. And what are we supposed to do with that? But but the word magnanimous actually has implications that, again, when I think about it, I, I use it instinctively without ever having brought it to a focus. If somebody's generous, you say they're generous. If it was a magnanimous gesture, you would say it like that. And that would mean that it was much more than generous. That there was something, and the word that comes to mind is noble about what they did. That they they rose above what you would consider to be even ordinary generosity and, and, and showed a refinement and a greatness of character that you might not have known was there. So, um, but Swami just says, service itself, he, he, now he's elevating the idea of service. You know, to, service is magnanimous. And the definition of magnanimous then goes on in a very subtle way. And it says that, that, that you know, magnanimous lifts, lifts our, our own nature, magnanimity lifts our own nature to the point where Troubles are easier to bear. I mean, what an interesting definition that that kind of noble generosity based on principle above the average also makes it easier to stand up strongly in the face of difficulties. In other words, this word all by itself, which is a very complicated word, you know, I don't know what language, I don't know what those words mean, the syllables mean together. I don't know its language of origin. Um, inherently defines the karmic law of all things. That when we 
embrace others as ourselves. When Master has a poem in Whispers from Eternity, where the, the, the sentiment is so cheerfully, um, <clears throat> cheerfully expressed. Teach me, Lord, to spend as happily for others as I spend for myself. And, I mean, I've thought about that quite a lot. You know, I'll be buying myself a pair of shoes, maybe that are a little more expensive. And I'll think, you know, would I just pull out my charge card to buy it for someone else? as I'm buying it for myself? Am I able to spend as happily for others as I spend for myself? I, I can be generous. On occasion, I might even be magnanimous. <laughs> but can I claim that uh, the fulfillment of that prayer? No, actually, I don't think I can because I, I draw a distinction between myself and others. But if we can dissolve that sense of distinction between ourselves and others, you see this is a profound and a very um, significant level of spiritual realization. Jesus in the Bible says, you know, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And the meaning of that is to love thy neighbor because thy neighbor is thyself. So how do we, how can we possibly perceive my neighbor as myself. It seems so obvious by the way that I normally live and the way that I inhabit my body and only my own body that I'm different from my neighbor. I might like my neighbor. I might even be very fond of my neighbor. But to actually dissolve the distance between us, how do we dissolve the distance between us? Well, all of the spiritual path talks to us about how we are all equally children of God. We are all equally loved by God. We, were, we are all equally manifestations of God. So if we're all equally manifestations of God, if my nature is divinity and your nature is divinity, and divinity is infinite, eternal, and one, then even though something in me perceives you as different than me, that's a delusion. It's really quite fascinating. When I uh, knew Swamiji, and when Swami was still living until 2013, I, I know him now, still better in certain ways, but during the time that I saw him in the body and expressing through his personality, many times I thought that he had a very good attitude. I mean, that would be the way I would describe it. And I strove to emulate his attitude. And, of course, if he behaved or responded in a certain way and I saw, I understood the positive benefit of it, I would try to become like him. That would be only natural. Swamiji himself based his entire life on his understanding of Master's consciousness. What Master would do is what Swamiji tried to do. I tried, I always tried to do to the best of my ability, what Swami would do, because he's how I understand what it would be like. We walk in the footsteps of those who have what we want. When I first met Swami Kriyananda, literally when I first saw him, what came into my mind is he has what I want. And it was consciousness that I was looking at. It was this freedom of consciousness that he had, which also came with it, this, this rippling joy. 
it was it was the freedom and the joy in him that completely attracted me but my my literal first response which was intuitive and not not premeditated was i want to be like he is he has what i want so for my whole life up until this very moment it's the pole star by which everything else is measured you know what would swami do in this situation and how can i come close to that so i imitated him emulated him is actually the better word i tried to emulate him but i gradually began to learn that whereas i was developing a good attitude what swamiji had was a perception you know i would try to be nice to someone because i wanted to be supportive and sympathetic swami would be nice to someone because he would feel what they were feeling and he would just have this spontaneous sympathy that was that was just of a, another order of magnitude when i i said to him once after 25 years that i had i'd come to appreciate how i was i'm 20 i was 22 years younger than swamiji and i was 22 when i met him so he was well established in his adult capacities and i was just on the cusp of adulthood and basically i i would say the phrase he raised me i mean everything that i learned about you know let me be fair my parents laid me a very solid foundation but i really learned how to be who i wanted to be from swamiji i often say i grew up my parents gave me my childhood and swami gave me my adulthood but uh i commented to swamiji once how grateful i was that in all the years that i lived with him he never made reference to my age because now i was in my 40s and i was working with people who were 22 years younger than i and i couldn't help but noticing how many of them were callow youths <laughs> and i couldn't help but noticing how many of them were exactly as i was when i was their age enthusiastic with a lot of potential and a great deal going for them but not always as wise as they thought they were which is exactly the way i was but never did swami ever reference my age what to speak of using the difference in our age and experience to in some way have authority over me and and when i say never i mean never and god knows <laughs> i gave him lots of reason why that would have been a response <laughs> and i thought when i when you know when the when the tables were turned and i'm trying to emulate swami ji and offered to others a kind of friendship he gave to me because i know how that helped me that helped me have confidence in myself and speak out and stand by my point of view and develop myself because i he respected me so deeply i thanked him i thanked him for what i thought was having such a good attitude thank you sir for never mentioning my age his response i never noticed I never noticed. I had to think about that. He said age is such a trivial definition of a person. Of course, once you put in reincarnation, nobody's any age at all. We're all absolutely ageless. Our bodies have an age, and that may have an influence on our ability to express ourselves, but we're absolutely ageless. And that was when I realized, oh my. You know, it wasn't that he had a good attitude. This is simply who he is. And how do how do you come to that? How do you come to the consciousness where you, you look at everyone and you just see them for who they are without any imposition of delusion without any impatience without any necessity to have them be a certain way so that I can be a certain way 
This is the magnanimity of serving others, and he calls it the prerogative of kings, which means it's, it's those who have greatness within them, great opportunities, the, the, the freedom. I mean, the prerogative of kings is to say the king has so much freedom, that's what he's trying to say. And the real role of the king is not to take for himself, but the real role of the king is to serve his people. The true leader is an absolute servant of everyone. And when we just try to take for ourselves, we absolutely de- we demean ourselves. We, 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 well, shall I use the word sin? But we do a great injustice to our own divinity. And when we do an injustice to our divinity, we shrink our divinity. We shrink our, our relationship to our true, powerful selves. And then when troubles come, we have no basis of strength. We have no basis of strength because in getting for myself, thinking all the time about what I can get, not being concerned about anybody else's welfare than mine, absolutely not acknowledging my unity with other people, I gradually, I beggar myself. I reduce myself to the, to the powerless, impoverished position of a beggar. It's absolutely the opposite of magnanimity. You see? Isn't that just an absolutely wonderfully elevated way to think about it? You could say service is good for you. (laughs) You know, be generous, be nice. But here Swami just weaves for us this wonderfully subtle picture of of how we can, you know, just a a poetic image of, of how right action, right attitude leading to right consciousness, will make us free. And that's exactly what he says. Swami writes, To become inwardly free, live to serve others rather than for personal gain. Service is magnanimity and the prerogative of kings. But the more you work for personal gain, the more you will only beggar yourself. Joy to you, my friends.